So this morning, I want to start with a with going through a study of the first uh, first epistle of John. So today I want to go through first epistle of John, chapter one, starting with chapter one, and the whole chapter today. And Lord willing, in the future, um, continue with the first epistle of John, um, just going through and studying it, uh, making a study of it chapter by chapter. Um, So John, the Apostle John, like Jacob already shared, uh, John the Beloved, he wrote these epistles in his old age. And as as we as we read them, it, it kind of comes through that uh, he's like a father talking to his children, an older father, and treating his children. And uh, so I want to pray. I pray the Lord will bless bless His Word this morning and give us revelation and the anointing of the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, Father, we worship you. We thank you, Lord, for your Word that's so rich and powerful. We thank you for what we've already heard. Thank you, Lord, for all your blessings. I pray for your blessing, your anointing over the words that are spoken this morning. Lord, that you give us revelation. Lord, you reveal to us what is your heart. That you show us more of you. And you teach us to become less of us and seek you to seek you more. To live that life that you are calling us all to live. So, Lord, I pray for this morning, for the words that are spoken, that you would speak, that you would receive the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I believe uh, the epistles of John were some of the last books written of the New New Testament. Um, And as a father of the faith... um, he was John was the only apostle, the only disciple, personal disciple of the Lord Jesus that was still alive, that had still survived up to that point, and had survived the persecution that the church endured uh, since the time of Christ. <clears throat> so I want to start with uh, with chapter one of First John, the epistle, verse one. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen, and bear witness, and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write unto you, that your joy may be full. It's verses 2 to 4. So he starts saying, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. And John starts this epistle the same way he started his, uh, on the same tone and on the same subject that he started his gospel with, the gospel of John. 
And uh, he, there he went, uh, John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. I'll just read it quick. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. That's the Gospel of John, the introduction of it. And it's the introduction of, of who? Of the Son of God, of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and uh, these books and these epistles were written, the subject, the, 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 the whole subject, the whole center of these letters and the, the book of John is Jesus Christ, the person of Christ. That's the center, that's the focal point of the whole New Testament. Um, the marvelous and the, the incomprehensible truth that Jesus became, that Jesus, the Son of God, He became a man. He became a man like we are, like us. <clears throat> so that He, He which was from the beginning. <clears throat> so back to verse 1 of, uh, of the epistle of John. That he which was from the beginning, the same one we saw, we handled, we touched. So he, he's saying, this, this Jesus, this person that I'm going to write about, this Jesus Christ, he, he said, he's the one that we saw, it's the one that we, we touched, we handled. We had hand-to-hand, -hand we, we contacted him, we were, we were in contact, we lived with him. We bore... He bore witness um, that he was there and he lived amongst us. Um, and and that's, that's our subject today. This is what it's about. And, and it's, it's even hard. And, and it, you can see that John is, try, is introducing Jesus Christ. And in the gospel where he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. How do you describe who Jesus was? That He was the Son of God, that He is the Almighty God. And He came and He walked among them. And you, you can almost sense the unbelief, the, the, how hard it is to believe even that John had walked, physically walked in the presence of the Lord. Um, that He had touched Him and felt Him. But He's, he's bringing these things and He's saying it's, these things, it's not things that we imagined. It's not, it's not things, um, it's not things, he's not going to say here things that are made up. He's not presenting philosophical ideas. He's not presenting theories, but truths that God the Father manifested to us. <clears throat> and the, these things that, that they were eyewitnesses, they were eyewitnesses of. The miracles, um, the signs, the wonders, the words, the daily life when he walked with them. And finally his death and his resurrection, the ascension and the coming of the Holy Spirit. That's the Gospel of John. It's, it's the presentation of who Christ was when he came. 
And here in the epistle of John, it's, it's like a follow-up letter <clears throat> to the disciples, to the believers, to bring us all together in that fellowship with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. That fellowship that God desires and has always longed for with men. <clears throat> so, hold on a second. So that's that's the introduction to the gospel. And so going on to verse 3, <clears throat> that eternal life that was manifested, that was with the Father, and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Those things we write to you, that your joy may be full. <clears throat> and here I want to go in and talk about what is what is what what the writer here is presenting as God's heart. God's heart for his children, God's heart for his disciples, um, God's heart for us. <clears throat> for us all to come to peace with him and to have fellowship with God and with one another. So the deep heart, what is what is the heart of, the, of, of this letter, of this holy epistle that John is writing? And uh, what I want to spend some time on here is, is verse 4. And these things we write unto you, that your joy may be full. That your joy may be full. <clears throat> and I think that's his heart. That's what he wants. That's what God wants for His children. That's what God wants for us. And that's what, that's what John, as, as, as an older apostle, that's what he wanted for, for, the, for the believers. To bring us into fellowship with God, the Father, and His Son, Jesus Christ, that our joy may be full. And I want to spend some time talking about what is fullness of joy. And so, so what does God want? I believe God wants us all to find that fullness of joy, to live in that fullness of joy, to live in that place, to dwell in it. Um, so we people contrive all kinds of different uh, perceptions of God, who God is. It's naturally inborn in us to have some... Uh, have, there's some realization that there is a God, but in that people come up with all we, we come up with all these ideas of who God is, what he what he um, who he is and how he is and what God wants. And many people, even Christians, um, read the scriptures and they, they see this God who is angry, who's cold and he's impossible to please. That's how, that's how a lot of people perceive God. There's this God up there, and he's kind of untouchable. He's, he's far away. He's, he's not reachable. And we, can, we certainly can't make him happy. Um, a lot of people read Scripture, and, and that's, that's what they get out. And a lot of the, the Old Testament, it's, it's about laws. It's about people who messed up. 
It's about people who fell short. But the real story of the Old Testament is, is about a God who is pursuing a people. It's about God who is pursuing people. He's trying to strive after them. He wants to restore them to himself. And we can so easily miss the picture. Because we'll, uh, we'll read 200 years of history. And, and all we see is a short sentence about the judgment. And we don't see the four, two, three, four hundred, five hundred years of history before that, where God is just has this heart and is trying and trying to connect and drawing people to Him. And mercifully waiting. And it has this longing for people to turn to Him. And they don't. They turn the other way. Time and again. That's just that's how it goes. That's how it seems to go. We can, miss, we can miss the whole picture, the real picture, so easily. God's will and God's heart for us is for salvation, redemption, and restoration. Salvation, redemption, and restoration. And if we read the Old Testament, if we read the story of mankind in the Garden of Eden, where man, man messed up, man failed, man Destroyed it, just ruined everything. And God is there and he's trying to redeem it. He came up. God came up and we came up with the idea of restoring. Of trying to redeem the situation <clears throat> of salvation. And, and that's what God came up with when we created the problem. God is trying to help us. God is actively trying to help us. He's continually trying to help us. And we lose sight of that so easily, so, so often. We lose sight that God is working. And we become overwhelmed with the, with the situations around us, with the things, uh, with, the, with the troubles of this world, and with the pleasures of this world, and whatever there is in this world. But God <clears throat> is working in us, and He wants our joy to be full. He wants our joy to be full. And it's hard to get for us to get a sense of that. Um, so what is the purpose of man? What brings us joy? What brings us fulfillment? What truly brings us happiness? <clears throat> what truly brings us happiness? And I know when we think of happiness, uh, being happy, and we kind of go a little bit like, hmm, okay, we're not happy, we're joyful, right? We're joyful. Um, but happiness and joy have to be running close together. There's a lot of similarities between being happy and being joyful. Okay, and we can we can try to peel away layers, uh, and we can try to uh, I don't know. <laughs> um, we can try and and dumb down happiness, but and spiritualize joy. But a person who's truly joyful will also be happy. 
it just as no there's no separating those two <clears throat> you can be joyful through a trial that's painful and that's struggling and that, then you're not happy okay but we can still have joy we can still have that confidence in joy so joy is deeper there is a depth there that god wants of us <clears throat> But true joy will be will reflect in um, it will it will manifest itself in happiness in in some level of happiness because if if we're, joy is any joy is an emotion it's a it's a like and yeah okay so I don't want to get into this too deep um, <clears throat> so what makes man joyful what makes man happy what 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 makes a man or a woman complete? <clears throat> um, okay, so um, there's these things that uh, that make us happy, that make us even maybe joyful. Uh, they get us excited, like a good meal or a good time with friends, and. Those things, those things are good. They can be good. They can, they're blessings. Um, but what, what truly is, what is this joy? What is the fullness of joy? And I'm not saying I have a spelled out answer here. Um, I just want to get us thinking in that way. That it's not, it's not these moments of bliss that we enjoy. Especially not the ones that leave us empty. It's not the things that, 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 that make us convicted. It's not that it's never anything that we think we'll enjoy and then it brings shame. Those are not, that, that'll never bring us to a fullness of joy. These fickle things, these small things in life that we like, okay? We like to do, we enjoy them. They're fun for a little bit. And uh, we need to have some other some of those things, but they never bring that fullness of joy. They never bring a fullness. They never bring you to where you're actually truly deeply enjoying this. And those it overlaps a little bit. But what what are we what are we created to do? What are we created to be? <clears throat> What are the things that are actually valuable? <laughs> what makes a man or a woman complete? See, we're spiritual beings. And there are things about mankind that are completely different than all other created beings. We're made with a mind that can process. Where we, we, can, we can imagine, we can pretend, we can hope. We're created with emotions that can give love and joy and we feel joy and peace and humor. And, uh, you know, some, some, the, other, the other aspects of creation, some animals, they show the slightest inclination of being able to, uh, to process some of these things. And scientists go and they study and they study these animals and they research. And for years on end, and they only find traces of those things. They only find traces of logic. 
They only find um, like the, the emotions that we have. They seem to be there. There's some sense of it there a little bit. But uh, animals seem to be able to show some emotion. They seem to have some sort of, uh, some sense of feeling. But mostly with animals, it's, uh, it's a sense of safety and danger. And it's a sense of comfort and discomfort. And it's hunger and thirst and instinctive responses to their environment. It's just very extremely basic. And beyond that, it's not very deep. Um, and there are stories of loyalty, bravery, and intelligence that, that sometimes seem to rival humans, and they sound incredible. Um, but at the end of the day, if you give a dog a bone and a safe place to chew on it, he's pretty happy. That's it's good. That's all we're looking for. So what makes us happy and fulfilled? What gives us a fullness of joy? What, is, what, what gives us fullness of joy? That, that our joy might be full. To be what we were created to be. <clears throat> uh, and and I want, let's look for another minute at the animal world. Um, how are animals content? And animals, okay, animals can only be what, they, what, they, what they're created to be. And that's where they flourish. They were created to be this. Um, the this idea that that well, okay, we all get a little influence that animals can think and process, but birds were created to be birds. They were created, and, and birds fulfill their purpose. They fulfill the, the epitome of their purpose. The greatness of their purpose is, to, is when they're birds, when they can fly, they can eat, they can sing, um, they can uh, sing songs, raise their young, and it's for the glory of God, and it glorifies God. And, and we, can find, we can wonder and we can marvel at it. And it's beautiful, and we enjoy it. In the same way, rabbits fulfill their purpose by being rabbits and doing rabbit things. Um, in their short lives, they fulfill their purpose. God created them to be that. And in a way, God created them for a perfect world. He created them for the Garden of Eden. He created them to live. He created all creation to live in a perfect world. Um, but then you have the predator. The predator in its place in creation, even in the fallen world, its place is to be what God created it to be. And a lot of that is broken. <clears throat> and a lot of that we can't even, we don't even know how it's supposed to be, how God actually did create it. But you have the circle of life. Um, um, there's a dot clock, you know, there's a cow, there's a crow quack. Animals find their purpose. And animals are, are fulfilled in finding their purpose. That's all that's there for them. But man was created to be so much more. Man is the pinnacle of God's creation. And out of all creation, when, when the fall happened, the, 
God's heart was towards man. And yes, all creation groans and it, it, it's, it's broken and, it, and everything, is be, everything is suffering and destruction. But what is, what is man created to be? What did God create? What purpose? What's the purpose of mankind? <clears throat> and a lot, of, uh, a lot of the evil agendas of today, of our world today, are trying to reduce the meaning of life, are trying to reduce the purpose of man's life. That we're the, we're the highest evolved animal. We're basically another animal that's evolved and we, we ended up at the top. We came from animals. We were just able to adapt and to survive. Our species evolved into what we are. People, it came from monkeys. It was survival of the fittest. In other words, those who can't keep up die, and that's for the better of everyone. We're just another species of animals, the lucky survivors. And nothing could be further from the truth. It's a pile of rubbish and confusion. And it's, it, it breeds racism. It breeds all these things that... These ideas that some people are better than others. It's total corruption. <clears throat> we were created in the image of God for His purpose. God created us to be His children. Created, we were created to love God, to worship Him. Just like a spoon was created to put food in our mouth. We were created to love, to worship, and to find fulfillment in God. You know, we, a spoon. <clears throat> so I have a simple analogy of a spoon here. We, we can have a spoon, okay? And we, it's, it's made to eat, okay? Um, so we could use a spoon as a hammer. It would work. We could put in nails after time. If it's a big spoon, you know, it would work as a hammer. You could use it as a screwdriver if you can put it on a screw if it fits. You could use it as a musical instrument if you can make a note come out of it. Um, we could use it to shovel snow. It would work. Or uh, we could use it as an oar to paddle a boat. It would work for that too. But it wouldn't work well. It'd be terrible. You, you might, some of those things would ruin the spoon. It's not what it was created to do. The spoon was made to eat with. <clears throat> and so, so, and it was made for a, specific, for a specific purpose. And the same way God made humans for a specific purpose. He made humans for His glory, to glorify Him, to worship Him, to be like Him. <clears throat> so what's God's heart for us? He's the creator. So he made us. He didn't make us out of just for fun. He made it for he made us for for a purpose. And in that purpose, he has our best in mind. <clears throat> he has our best purpose. We're we're created to be that and to be it perfectly, to be it well. <clears throat> So, um, Zach Conan, um, uh, 
I want to talk about holiness. So what's, what's, what is this fullness of joy? What's God's heart for us? And I believe God's heart for, is for us to be holy. Um, and Zach Ponen, I have, I have a, an excerpt here from Zach Ponen. He said, happiness is synonymous with holiness. Happiness and holiness go together for us. Because sin will make men miserable. Sin will always, sin always leads to destruction. Okay, and following God, serving God, seeking His will, always leads to life. It always leads to, it always leads to joy. It leads to fulfillment. And sin always leads to destruction. Sin always takes us to the other way. <clears throat> and he says, Zach Poonen says, holiness is like wholeness, completeness. And me and Randy were talking about this, and he shared that the other day, that holiness, holiness, you can think of wholeness. It's like to be complete, to be what you were, what something is meant to be, to be holy and complete. Wholeness. <clears throat> everything is there. Everything is the way it, sh it should be. The holier someone is, the happier they will be. So how is, how is that possible? And... Uh, in our, in our classes, in the, the parenting classes, um, he touched on that too. How is that possible? You know, when we think of holiness, we don't usually think about being happy. We don't think about the priests being ever so joyful when they're doing the sacrifices. And we don't think of that as, as being joyful and happy. Um, even though David... At his temple, when David, when Solomon's temple, they had a continuous singing. They had continuous worship going for years and years and years. And it's a beautiful picture. And yes, there was the sacrifice. And there's the beauty in that. There, there's, the, there's the brutality and the coldness of it. But there's also the redemption story in it. But then there was the worship. And in the first temple... That was part of the worship experience, the singing and the joy. Um, but usually when we think of, uh, of holiness, we don't think about um, joyfulness. You know, it, uh, We think of long robes, candles, the temple. We might think of the church, of a church, hymns, long messages, and long prayers. And do those things make you happy? No. I won't I won't ask for a show of hands. Huh? Health is wholeness. Okay, holiness is spiritual health. Yeah. To be healthy. Okay. So that's good. So to be holy, for someone to be holy is to be spiritually healthy, to be spiritually complete. Um, like holiness, like wholeness the, uh, in the healthy, in the physical sense. In the spiritual sense, it's holiness. That's good. <clears throat> so who was the holiest man who ever lived? 
This should be easy. Jesus. And when we think of a holy man, we might think more of, uh, we, we'd be tempted to think more of like Aaron or one of the high priests or um, a, a priest standing in his robes. But Jesus was clearly the, the holiest man who ever lived. Holiness is Christ-likeness. Um, one of the best examples of holiness, or the best example, the pinnacle example of holiness, is Christ himself. When you think of holiness, do you think of Jesus? We should. That's what we should think about. Jesus was holy. He was in the Father. He was in the Father's will in everything he did. Everything he did was of the Father. Um, John, John chapter 5, verse 18 and 20. I'm going to go ahead and read those verses. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but he also, but also said that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. So here Jesus was claiming that God was his Father, and in their eyes that was the equivalent of saying, I'm God. That Jesus was claiming to be God. And Jesus answered to them. Answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do, <clears throat> can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that ye may marvel. The Son does nothing. He did. Jesus said to them, I don't do anything of myself. I don't do anything that God doesn't tell me to do. That my Father doesn't tell me to do. Whatever, whatever the Father wants to do, wants the Son to do, that's what Jesus did. <clears throat> Holiness is Christ-likeness. Holiness is to do what the Father wants to do in every situation, to respond the way God wants us to respond in every situation. That's holiness. That's how Jesus lived. And He's our perfect example. To find fullness of joy is to be at peace with God. It's to be holy. It's to give and live your life for Him wholly and completely. To completely live your life for Him. Okay, so back to our text. Um, going to verse number 5. <clears throat> um, and he starts talking about fellowship with one another. And I appreciate Jacob's opening here. <clears throat> this is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you. So what is the message? This is the message that we have heard and declare from him. We have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, we walk in darkness. We lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. 
is light. Um, there's no secrets with God. When we think about light, what do we think? What do we think about? If there was no light here, no light here at all, what would we have? Darkness. It'd be dark. Um, in fact, the definition of darkness is the absence of light. To make something dark, you take away all the light. You remove all the light. And it says, God is light. And God shines in. And, and there's His light pierces through the heart and the soul. And there's no darkness in Him. The, the clear, the, when, when God is present, God, God doesn't see darkness. There's nothing hidden from Him. He looks into a situation and He sees everything. He knows everything. If we claim to follow him and we walk in darkness, we lie. What does it mean to walk in light or in darkness? And I, I really, I, I appreciate the analogy of light and darkness. I, I think it's such a great analogy. Um, so what is dark? Darkness is the absence of light. Um, so we can turn out the lights here and we draw the blinds and, and lock everything out. And... Would it be dark? Well, after a while, the, the, our eyes would adjust and we would, see, we would see vaguely again. There would still be light here. There's still light around. There's still light present. And uh, we could wait till it's nighttime and it would be darker yet. And then we'd probably hardly see anything, but after our eyes completely adjust, we might still be seeing shadows and seeing little things. But God is light. He shines into dark places. He reveals what's there. And it can be scary to shine a light into a dark place when we don't know what's there. Uh, what will you find? So whenever something is in darkness, we think of it, it it's, being, it's hidden. It's, we can't see it. When something is in darkness, it's, it's hidden. It's at least it's hidden from our eyes. Um, when something is in the light, it's visible for all to see. When something's in the light, there's a light shining on it. Everybody can see it. And uh, if we have things in our life that are strangely secret that no one's allowed to find out, those things should be some suspect. If there's things that no one's supposed to find, this is a problem. People find this out, it's a problem. Okay, it's, and it's uh, the simplest, simplest picture we have is, is a little boy. A little boy or a little girl. Uh, they come out of the kitchen looking innocent. And one of their hands is behind their back. And they're kind of walking with their back to the wall, uh, holding it away. And, okay, first glance, you see they're not walking straight. There's, a, there's kind of a strange way to walk, but they're hiding something. Mom or dad were not supposed to see this. Um, what are you hiding? Why does it need to be hid? Why does it need to be hidden? So what do we know if they're hiding something? Well, we know they're feeling guilty, right? If they had permission, 
Um, if they knew they had, okay, a mom gave mom, let me take a cookie. They'd be waving it around and showing it to all the children. Yeah, I have a cookie. You don't. But now they're hiding. They're hiding it. And when there's something that needs to be hid, um, we should be suspect that it's something that's wrong. And of course, there's the um, there's things we just don't want to have broadcasted. There's things in our things that are we'd rather keep private. And of course, there's room for that. <clears throat> we don't need to know, and we don't want to know every intimate detail of a person's life. But other things that would make us feel ashamed if people find out, would make us feel um, we're, we're really trying to hide. Okay, we all have our, um, we, we all know these things. We can't afford to have anyone see this. It would ruin my reputation. Or people would find out who I am, who I really am. Things that are not quite okay, that are kept under the radar. What will people think? It's none of their business. And we end up hiding. We start living under the radar. And this can almost become a lifestyle for people. It can affect a person's personality. If they, if they need to live under the radar, if, they, if they're always living under the radar, if they always have the, this list of things that... Okay, no one, this, this is my, this is the little corner here that, this is my world. And I'm different. It's a different world that everybody else sees. So who are we hiding from? We often try to hide things from people. And we should be a lot more concerned about what God thinks. What does God think? God who sees it all, His light is shining through, and He sees it all, and He knows it all. And yet we think it's so important that we keep this hidden, and we keep this secret, and God knows it. And someone is trying to live in darkness, trying to hide. And I think that's the analogy of the, the light and the darkness. God is light, verse 5, and in Him is no darkness at all. There's nothing hidden with God. If we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we walk in darkness, we lie, and we don't do the truth. If there's, if there's dark, darkness that, that we're walking in, we're liars. But if we're walking in the light, if we don't have these things to hide, if we don't have this, this big um, canopy that we're using to cover parts of our lives, we're, there's an openness. There's a freedom. We have fellowship with Him. We have fellowship with God. And we have fellowship one with another. If we're hiding things, one of the words is we become shifty. A shifty person is someone who's kind of, you know, there's always things going on on the sly. <clears throat> but if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. 
the first step for us all to walk in the light and to receive is, is to receive the light, to let the light shine in, to let God's light shine in and reveal the darkness. <clears throat> and we have to accept that there's something there. We have to accept that maybe there's sin, maybe there's things that are out of line. There's problems. And once we accept that there's problems, there's forgiveness. If there's repentance, there's endless and boundless forgiveness and mercy at the cross. So verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. It's critically important for us to realize we have a problem with sin. Each of us. And uh, John, the epistle of John can be a little confusing in the way he states, first we're cleansed from all sin, and then he says, we, if we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and there's more of that in the next chapter. But there's the starting point, and then there's our state with Christ. If we can't see, first, if we can't see in our lives that we need forgiveness, this is referring to, to those people who say they have no sin. They're okay. They're good people. We're completely lost in sin and there's no way for us to be cleansed and forgiven without the forgiveness and the blood of Christ. We haven't begun the journey. The first step is to let the light shine in and reveal to us that there's a, there's a problem. And God's light, God's purity, God's holiness is so much beyond where we can ever come that there will always be new things revealed. <clears throat> and yet there's cleansing for all those things. <clears throat> okay, it's, but if, we, if someone says, we have no sin, we have no sin. Uh, if we say we have no sin, we make him a liar. We make God a liar. Because that's what the Word of God says. The Word of God says all have sinned. All have come short of the glory of God. And once we realize we're lost, we're ready to be found. Someone who's not lost, they cannot be found. I mean, imagine a search party goes out and they're looking for this person. And finally, someone finds them, finds this person. And they tell him, everybody's looking for him. We've been searching for, for days. And this person says, I'm not lost. I'm fine. Go, go. I know exactly where I'm at. And the poor search party has to go home. The man was never lost. There was no help. Even if he's going to die there, he's not going to accept help. He has to recognize that he's in trouble. And it's a good, simple analogy. It's, for someone, it's for someone, uh, only someone who knows they are sick will receive help or take help from a doctor. 
A doctor can prescribe all they want. If a person doesn't realize they need this, if they don't accept that they need this, they won't accept the advice and neither will they accept the, the medicine. It's walking in darkness versus walking in the light. <clears throat> so the first chapter um, ends on this note. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So if, if, we, if, if we cannot recognize that we need him. We need to pray for his light. We need to pray for him to reveal it to us. And God is light and he will. He will show us. And then we have to be able to have to hear him. We have to recognize when we fail, when we fall short, that's God showing us that we need him. <clears throat> God's desire for us is fullness of joy. And fullness of joy is found in holiness. And holiness is Christ-likeness. So, amen. I want to close with that and open it up for discussion. Thank you.